I used to, when I first opened the restaurant, people would come in and say, I eat meat. You know, it's almost like they would come in feeling guilty, and I thought, well, this is, we're not off to a good start. You know, it's okay you eat meat. <laughs> you're really you here. Yeah, okay. you're really, you don't have to confess to me or anything. <laughs> I just want you to have a beautiful evening. Welcome to Plant Gourmet and Episode 3. I'm your host, Rob Lang, and we're back again to talk to the chefs who are making the best plant-based cuisine. So last time I was talking to Ravi DeRossi and Daphne Chang in New York. If you haven't listened to that episode yet, do. It's a lot of fun and it really gives you an idea of what it's like to open or to change restaurants to serve plant-based food at a high level in New York. This week it's something completely different. So Elizabeth's Gone Raw is a one night a week only prefix raw plant-based restaurant in Washington, D.C., I'm talking to Elizabeth Petty, who's the owner, and Chef Francisco Hernandez. Elizabeth's Gone Raw started about five years ago. So Elizabeth had a really serious health issue that prompted her to start eating raw plant-based food. And I talked to her about that journey and how that encouraged her to open up this restaurant. And we get talking to her and Chef Francisco, or Carlos, as he's sometimes known, uh, who is the head chef. And I think you're really going to love listening to them both because Francisco is a chef who's just amazingly warm and open and happy to explain everything in his dishes. It's really cool. And he's experimenting and developing some really cool techniques with raw food, most of which I've never even heard of before. I really feel like I learned from this guy and that he's finding out things about food that literally no one else is doing. It's extremely cool and unique. So... I think you'll really enjoy it. These guys are doing some very great stuff. If you head to DC and you're there on a Friday night, you really have to book a table and try their food. It's exciting and it's different and it's very, very cool. So let's get going. We'll just get started here, I think. I'm here with Elizabeth and Francisco uh, at Elizabeth's Gone Raw. And one of the funny things was as I walked up to this building, it's it's like this very incongruous building surrounded by uh, very modern buildings and it, it it's really surprising to see this kind of thing here. So maybe we can start by just talking about where we are and um, what the building is and start from there. Sure. So um, the building was, it's a old, it's a Federalist townhouse that was built in 1880. And it's really the last standing townhouse uh, within blocks of, of where we're located. Um, I, as a matter of fact, I can't recall any at the moment that I know of, but um but fortunately, um, I was able to purchase this building 12 years ago and actually got it. It had been vacant for, for 10 years. One thing that's interesting about this area is that um, 15 years ago, it's considered relatively dangerous. So, you know, Washington has grown. It keeps moving east. And so it, it, it continues to, to gentrify. But um, there's actually a lot of spirituality around the building that I... Um, I purchased it from my uh, best friend's father, but, and that's kind of another very long story, but it is important to, I think, the whole message of the, of the raw vegan. Um, I had no idea he still owned the building when I was looking at property to buy, and um, my realtor sent me to this location. And as I came closer to the building, I realized that Al Smith, um, who owned a Muzak franchise, owned the same property. So I got on the phone and I said, does Al Smith still own this building? And he said, how do you know Al Smith? And I said, well, as a matter of fact, he pr- practically raised me, you know, so, so it was, it was fate. It really was fate. And I, um, 
purchase a building, gutted the entire thing, left three um, walls standing basically for zoning purposes in D.C., so it's C3. And, um, you know, from there, that's, you know. Wow, that's yeah. really cool. Yeah. Well, it's, it's great cool. to be here. Um, and I'd love to really find out and share the history of Elizabeth Gone Raw and how you ended up getting into this whole thing in the first place. So I was diagnosed with breast cancer seven years ago and um, a fairly aggressive form, HER2 positive, and I um, just jumped right into treatment and surgery and um, without really doing a lot of research because um, basically making decisions out of fear rather than, um, than decisions that are based on um, knowledge. And which I think is a common um, a common mistake that a lot of people make with with a diagnosis like that. Um, and I um, had started I'd had a bilateral mastectomy and started my first chemo treatment. And I discovered Chris Carr, who wrote Crazy Sexy Cancer, really really remarkable woman who's changed the lives of so many people, and um, who actually. Um, is he continues to heal herself 14 years later from uh, stage four metastatic uh, disease of blood cancer, a rare kind of cancer. So, you know, I'd already started on this regimen, so I um, thought, well, you know, I'm gonna integrate um, a sort of a natural approach with a conventional. And I took everything out of my diet. So I was on a really tough drug called adriamycin. They call it the red devil. And uh, I had six infusions of those, but after the first one, I, um, I, started drinking green juice and wheatgrass juice and no meat, no dairy, no sugar, no caffeine, just really um, simplified and cleaned up my diet. I went on to take um, 12 um, more uh, uh, chemo treatments after the adriamycin. And I would say two months into the diet change, I started feeling well, and which was really quite extraordinary. The most interesting thing to me was that Although our mitochondria is different, you know, everyone's mitochondria is different. There isn't anything extraordinary about me or exceptional about me. It was really the choices and the decisions I made that um, that made me feel well. So I, I finished this regimen and then on to radiation, another three weeks every day of radiation, and then went to Hippocrates Health Institute. Um, Brian Clement um, is actually the director there. And while I was at Hippocrates, literally the day after my last radiation, I got on the plane, flew down to Florida, and thought, okay, now I really need to learn how to, how to do this. You know, I've, I, I've been reading about it, I piecemealed it, I did my best, but I, I really need to know now. And I was in a yoga practice um, one day, and I thought, maybe it's time for me to get out of the food industry because it's all it's so meat-centric and so, you know, dairy. And the things that I know, for me personally, don't work in my life anymore. So I had this epiphany where I thought, you know what? This so, and you were already working in food at that point. Oh, you I had, had oh yeah. I, of course, I bought the catering company of Washington um, 27 years ago. So I've been in food for a very, very long time. And I, and I might add that um, it was such a really beautiful, humbling experience because there were times, you know, 20 years ago when somebody would ask for a vegetarian dish and I'd be the first one to sort of stomp my feet and said, you know, it would say sort of, how dare you? And isn't that silly? So here I am <laughs> on the other side realizing 
how foolish and how you know rude I had been. So humility is always a beautiful thing, um, particularly with you know growth and learning about yourself. But at any rate, I I did come to this realization while I was at the health inst- at Hippocrates Health Institute, um, and I thought you know rather than getting out of the food industry, this is a beautiful opportunity for me to give back, you know, to show my gratitude, and um, to open a raw vegan restaurant one night a week, and I really. I, I um, wanted it one night a week for several reasons. First, I didn't think there was an audience in Washington, D.C. Now, this is six years ago. Um, and I wanted to design the restaurant in such a way that it's not a la carte, so it's a prefix menu, because it's very important that when you adhere to a diet like this, that you eat the right combinations of food in the right order. So there, was a, you know, there really was sort of a method behind the whole philosophy of the business. I wanted to, or the restaurant, I wanted to take, find someone like Francisco who could take raw vegan cuisine to a level that no one's ever seen before. With the, you know, that's a, it's the new frontier. It's sort of like getting on that stagecoach and going out to California you know, in the right. 1800s, um, it's really undiscovered. And thanks to Matthew Kenny for really kind of opening that, that book and, sure, and, sure. and allowing people there, um, to realize the real beauty of the cuisine. Um, but um, so, so then the philosophy is really, we're not, we don't, I don't want to proselytize, you know, and I don't want to judge anyone for the choices they make because the only way that you can ever change people is through educating them and they change themselves. You know, you can't, you can't judge that if somebody's eating meat or they're eating, you know, hormone, uh, all these hormones that are in, in the food. I mean, they've got to first have to be educated and then have to make that choice. So the idea was, you know what? You come and dine Elizabeth's Gone Raw, hopefully have a beautiful experience. You take with you something very unique to you whatever that may be, you know, maybe you take, you decide I'm going to take dairy out of my diet for a week, or maybe I'm just going to eat grass fed beef and I'm going to eat or, or chicken or, or pork or whatever. And I'm only going to eat three, eat that three times a week. Or you know what? I still want to eat meat every day, but it's going to be three ounces of a portion. So, you know, or maybe you walk away from here and say, you know what? It's not for me. Raw vegan didn't work. I mean, it's, it's esoteric. It's a sure, very, sure. very new cuisine. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. No, mm-hmm. that's, that's a good, it's it's funny because I think a lot of people coming to plant-based food or raw food, like there's so many stories, you know, and those stories are always really interesting. And, and a lot of them involve quite a big change like that, you know. Um, and so it's it's really interesting to hear yours. Did I'm guessing the name, I, I'm trying to figure out how the name came about. And I'm wondering if it was like one of your friends said, oh, Elizabeth's gone raw. and Or, or if you had come up with the name to mean something else. I'd you know, I, I actually did come up with the name and it was just off the cuff because um, after I'd come up with the concept, we were sitting in the office one day and they, yeah. and they said, well, we need a name for the restaurant. And I said, well, Elizabeth's gone raw. I mean, that's, well, that was that's what it is. Okay. Yeah, it was very easy. There wasn't, <laughs> I mean, and then it stuck and I was like, well, that's, you know, that makes sense. Cool. Okay. Yeah. And you opened up, um, you said 2011? Yeah, is that six, right? six years ago. Okay. Okay. And uh, Francisco is sitting right next to you. When did he join uh, the business? He, um, he joined three years ago. Okay, well, let's talk to Francisco. Hi, how are you doing? Hi, very good. Yeah, no, I'd love to hear, like, how, how did you end up here? Um, how did Elizabeth get in touch? And, and what, what's your story? And what's your route to, to sitting where you're sitting right now? Okay, um, basically, uh, I bring for, um, I come here for uh, my friend, Jonathan Sinek. Uh, 
So and um, we working. We try to bring um, to another level uh, raw raw food. So and um, it's really hard. It's really it's a, it's a little a little hard. You know, mix the raw ingredients. You know, for make like beautiful dishes and everything. So and uh, he left. He got another opportunity, and I stayed right here. And I really love, you know, I, I really love working with vegetables and natural, uh, natural stuff, uh, organic uh, ingredients. So, and that one is my, you know, like it's, that one is like my inspiration. Like when the chef uh, Jonathan Sinegas he left from the restaurant, this is my opportunity to bring all my idea ideas and something beautiful. And that one is what we do right now, you know, like working a little more hard for the flavors uh, and f the fresh from the, from the food is coming to the clients. I'm guessing when you started out your career, you weren't making high-end raw food. Yeah, basically, um, I'm from El Salvador. And El Salvador, like when I have, when I, I am a little kid, I have my uh, own spot for sell fruits. I spices, fruits, vegetables, and uh, I always uh, thinking in vegetables and plant, uh, food plant-based, you know? And um, later, when uh, I come into the United States, I started to, in, in the food industry, working in the restaurant with different chefs. Yeah. And it's a little, a little hard because sometimes when one person, vegan, come to the restaurant, the chef, a lot of chefs, don't know how to do it. Right. And just mix a little salad and that's it. And uh, when I have the opportunity, I make it the best meal for these people, right? And it's, it's in a lot of different restaurants, same thing, and I try to make it beautiful. When I come in right here, I say, okay, I wanna make it happy. I, I meet Elizabeth, I wanna make it happy everybody right here. This is my opportunity to put uh, nice food yeah. on the table. How long have you been at Elizabeth's Gone Raw in total then? Uh, three years. Three years, okay. And then you, you became the executive chef? Um, uh, like a year and a half, all right? Okay, okay, One cool. year and a half. And so, that, and, uh, and so let's, let's talk a little bit about that menu then. So what can people expect when they come to Elizabeth's Gone Raw? Oh, wow, this is a, it's that rainbow of mm -hmm. the flavors. Every uh, bite, it got like four or five different flavors. So this one is like, it's a unique, it's unique food. Right. And uh, when you starting to eat it, you know, that one is changing your mind and different. It's like, I see the reviews, you know, the people say, you know, like for example, that raw food, what we make right here is for everybody. Even for the people who love the meat or anything, it's, that food is for everybody. Yeah. Because it's, it's just great. It's just, I mean, Really delicious. I really love it. <laughs> what, I, what I do. Yeah, yeah. One of you, I mean, maybe just explain to people who don't exactly know what raw food is. Um, what is it? How do you how do you describe something that's raw? Because obviously, you pick up a raw carrot. That's raw food. But your food is much more complex than that. But it's it's adhering to certain principles. And maybe you can explain what makes a raw food versus a cooked food. Basically, um, the raw food. It got the old uh, enzymes, it's called enzymes. Uh, everything, we don't kill it, you know? It's, it's better if you eat raw, because you eat in life, you know, you don't kill the vegetables. You eat in life, you eat uh, all the vitamins, uh, vitamins 
and everything. The whole reason that it is a raw restaurant is going back to kind of Elizabeth, like your journey and kind of discovering that food. Can you talk about, um, you know, when you started out eating raw, what did that mean and what was your diet and like, how did you even come across that? So, well, well, Chris Carr was really the inspiration, as I mentioned before, but um, the, um, you know, when you transition uh, in a time of a health crisis, um, I honestly think that it may be easier, an easier transition, right, right. because you don't feel well anyway. And there is a fair amount of, um, there's so much toxicity from all of those drugs that I've been taking. Um, so, and I often have people ask me, you know, was it easy? You know, it's never easy, um, but the benefits are, are far exceed um, you know, the effort that is made uh, to, to, you know, transition. My diet, um, like I said, was, was very, very clean in the beginning, very few nuts even, just because nuts are, you know, more difficult to digest. So um, if, you are in, if you are healing and you have some sort of health challenge, it's really important to keep your colon clean and, um, you know, have just consume as many juices and wheatgrass juice as possible um, because it's so nutrient dense, you know, and your body absorbs it really easily. And that's, you know, one of the things that I learned about at Hippocrates, how important it is to, you know, in terms of food combining and not to eat the nuts with the fruit. And because it's, you know, any food that digests at a different rate is going to cause stress on your digestive system. And um, so the less stress, the, um, the more, uh, it's just easier to heal. Um, but, you know, uh, like I said, a lot of green juice, um, wheatgrass juice, uh, wheatgrass enemas, um, lots of sprouts. You know, sprouts are really, um, you know, in my opinion and what I've, you know, certainly read about this is that, you know, sprouts are um, just loaded with protein. And um, I, you know, eat a lot, a lot of sprouts. Um, sprouts are unjustly maligned. Um, you know, every paper you pick up and every time you read about, you know, what not to eat. And there's been a lot of this um, publicity recently from doctors saying, don't eat sprouts because of the E. coli. That's right. That's valid. However, if you're growing your own sprouts and you're and they're handled properly, you know, sprouts are really the that is the basis of uh, of a raw vegan diet because you need that protein, um, which is so important. And let's just talk for a minute about that definition of raw because um, some people might say it means you don't heat food over 115 Fahrenheit or 105 or like, do you have any particular definition here that yeah, you... Yeah, ours is 115, you know, 115. And I know other people do say 105. Um, you know, 105 presents uh, more challenges because um, particularly when, when you're dehydrating food, you don't want to leave it at a, a low temperature for a very long time. And when you're feeding the public like that, you do have to be concerned with their health. Um, so we found that 105 seems to be a safe, a safe place. Um, but, you know, all, so all of our nuts, um, and Francisco can speak to this, you know, much better than I can, of course, because he's the genius behind it. But all the nuts are soaked in ionized water. Um, to release the enzyme inhibitors. So again, taking stress off of your digestive system and making it easier for your body to absorb all those nutrients. So let's talk mm -hmm. about that kitchen, Francisco, and like how you achieve things with, with food um, when you have this limitation. So if you said to most chefs, oh, you can't heat your food over 115, uh, most chefs are going to say, um what do I do then? Because, you know, what we're used to doing is getting the pan out and throwing things in the pan or throwing them in the oven, throwing them on the grill. 
Um, and, you know, you, you have this whole way of working, even making a soup in a traditional kitchen, you have this whole way of working that is all around heat. And heat is the big tool in the kitchen, right? So if you take that tool away, what do you do? And, wh and what are the tools that you end up using? And what are the, some of the techniques that you use to, to make great food in a raw way? Okay, in the raw way, uh, for example, when uh, uh, we're talking about like, for example, if I wanna, if I wanna make like carrot uh, soup, and I don't need, I, uh, I can't cook the carrots, all right? So what I do is like, for example, chop very fine, marinate with olive oil, and freezer oh. for 24 hours. Okay. So when I freeze the vegetables, the salt and olive oil is making like inside of the, the piece of the carrot. So it make it soft. After 24 hours, I take it out of the carrots. It's already marinated. Take it out of the carrots and blender. And blender all the flavors and it's like cooking in the freezer. And are you, are you also using the freezer maybe to break down some of that cellular uh -huh. structure and the carrot? Everything, it's to break down everything. And after that, it's very simple. Just almond meal, hemp seed meal, you know, blender, you have the soup, beautiful soup. Interesting. And, and um, I mean, in a lot of raw food kitchens, I think the blender is like a key, yes. is a key tool. It's like if your blender breaks down, you're in real trouble. Um, Tell me a, bit, a little bit about that. Like, I mean, are you, um, I have a Vitamix at home. I think a lot of people have the Vitamix. What do you guys use here? Um, do you have some special fancy blender or? Basically, no, we have a Vitamix. Yeah. We have the old Vitamix. Um, and the reason is because it's like, it's really strong. You know, sometimes we need a like breaking nuts. For example, we uh, make a cashew, cashew cheeses, uh, macadamia cheeses and Vitamix is really good for that. And you so, know. and what are what are the other tools that you might see in your kitchen uh, that wouldn't be we, in a normal? I have the uh, subai, subi. I have the subi. Subi, yeah. I have a subi blender, Robocop. It's like everything. In that. Wait, did you just say Robocop? Robocop. It's got Robocop. Robocop. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Robocop. <laughs> it's Robocop. Mm -hmm. Okay, and. Um, Let's just talk about that menu then. So, like, and do, do you change the menu very often here, or like, what? What's the kind of concept? Of, what's the overall concept that the menu might have right now, and how often does it change? Well, basically, um, our menu right now is changing every month. It's uh, because uh, we want to make it better, you know. And like that, when I make it every month, every week, for every Friday, I make it more interesting the dish. Mm -hmm. You know, I make it like more beautiful. I change a little bit or something like that for make it that's good, you know? And after that, I write the recipe, you know, uh, for keep it. Uh, for instance, like what's on the menu this week? Oh, basically in this, uh, in this, in this week menu, for Amuse, uh, we have a cashew, uh, cashew creme fraiche with a kale caviar and a Aleppo cracker. This is a, a little Amuse. Did you say kale caviar? Kelp caviar. Kelp. 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 Okay. How do you mm. make a kelp caviar, for instance? This one uh, is uh, we uh, squeeze the kelp, mm. the fresh uh, kelp. We squeeze it, take the use, and use a uh, a little agar agar for make the the kelp. Oh, so you and we drop in olive oil. Okay. Are you mm. like spherizing? Mm -hmm. the... Okay. Yeah. Interesting. All right. So in a, in a, we have the green gazpacho uh -huh. for uh, appetizer. We have green gazpacho soup. 
is honeydew, green grapes, chamomile tea, chamomile tea, uh, micro cilantro, one month aged cashew cheese, uh-huh. yeah, like and uh, pickles, uh, pears with vanilla and cinnamon and star anise. That's really good. It sounds really good. Nice. I'm going to come back and try this stuff, yeah. by the way. I'm really looking forward to it. And, and let's talk about that cheese for a second because, um, you know, I, I've made some nut cheeses and fermented them. And, and, you know, I think the thing I was actually talking about this with Scott a couple of weeks ago, but um, one of the things about nut cheeses is it's such a new thing. You know, if you think historically about people making milk-based cheeses, they've been doing it for hundreds, if not thousands of years, you know, whereas with the nut cheeses, it's such a new thing and people are still experimenting and, and, you know, I might go to an event and, you know, there's some pretty crappy nut cheeses out there, but there's some also really, really, really good ones. Um, and how do you guys go about making sure that you make something really good? And what are the what are the techniques that you might be using that you're able to share? And, you know, you're using that one-month-old aged cheese, which is, it sounds cool because a lot of people aren't aging their cheeses. Um, what, are, what are some of the techniques that okay. you're using? Um, the first thing for make, how I make it in my cheeses, the cashews I soak it in almost forty-eight hours. You know all the flavor, the the flavor of the cashews is gone. I wash like three times. I change the water mm. in forty-eight hours. After that, when I don't taste like cashews, so you're looking to actually eliminate that uh, nut the, taste, the flavor, yeah. the the the, yeah. the back taste. Uh, okay, blender with alkaline water. Uh, it's ten point five, right? Nine nine point five alkaline water. So we blender and we don't touch it even with hands or just the spatula mm-hmm. um, and add a, a probiotic. Probiotic, probiotic. Yep. yeah. So it's just, this is the last time when we touch it. Uh-huh. We leave it uh, in the wrong temperature, uh-huh. okay, for two days, not touch it, you know? And after that, with a uh, with a, a spatula, we transfer in the cheesecloth and we leave it in the, in the, in the, in the walking. So for those those two days, it's it's essentially fermenting, fermenting. and then and after, at the end of that two days, you'll get like a slightly sour taste. Mm-hmm. I would guess from the sour, fermentation. Sour taste, but yeah. don't uh, we don't stop right there. Right, right. Because if we put salt mm-hmm. or garlic or shallots or, or everything, we stop to the process to the cheese. Yeah, we don't want to stop. We want to age. Uh-huh. You know, like so we handle and we leave it for one month. So the cheese is coming, is starting to a little more acid, intense yeah. the flavor, yeah. and it's a little more hard because all the liquid is gone. So when after one month we starting to put salt, a little just a little salt, nutritional yeast if we need it. Right. And, right. and my cheeses I don't use it. Uh-huh. You know, um, a lot of people. Yeah. yeah, a lot of people trying to make like a vegan nut cheese will end up adding a bunch of nutritional yeast and it it sort of has the flavor of nutritional yeast yes. so it doesn't really have the flavor of the cheese and, and my cheese is I yeah if we just in case I needed the flavor yeah you know I I do it but in my cheese is I don't really use it uh-huh. uh, nutritional yeast because it's have their own flavor now so and I don't need to put anything else just finish with a little salt and it's right there if I wanted to add a, a flavor I do truffle uh, truffle oil or sharp truffle or smoking paprika. Mm-hmm. If you 
it's depend how I want it. A smoking, I do call a smoke cheese. You know, it's like. And so, and you've you've decided like one month is the ideal time. Have you tried some longer aging of the cheese or? Yes. And what happens? And what happening if I live in, I live in more, that cheese is kind is going back. Okay. It's it's not like I cannot left for two months. Uh-huh. I, I think you know, like if I I can keep it in a little boxes, you know, with a ventilation or something like that, I can have for six or seven months. But sometimes, you know, like we don't have, I don't have the time for yeah. take it, keep it something for six months. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's like it's a little hard. And you've, um, would you say you make all your cheeses out of cashew, or are you using other nuts? Like I, I I use uh, all the nuts. Yeah. I I use uh, some flour. Um, macadamia, cashews, uh, the hazelnut, the hazelnut cheese, uh-huh. I need to mix it with cashews and macadamia. The three nuts, because if I do just hazelnut, hazelnut have a lot of oil. Okay. So it's destroyed Okay. the, the cheese. But I need to mix the hazelnut, uh, cashew, and macadamia for bring a really good cheese. And and so I I love talking about this detail by the way. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's talk about um what's the next dish that people would get on their menu then? Okay, the next dish uh I think it's coming really simple. You know, the tomato is coming. I just make a nice beautiful tomato salad. Mm-hmm. You know, when hot is coming with a little basil uh basil uh cream or something like that is coming. Nice. It's going to be really really delicious. Basically, I just thinking last night and the tomato, tomato, uh, baby corn, uh, baby eggplant, and uh, I wish put uh, green strawberries. The green strawberries is like really, really delicious. What did we the the green what? Green strawberries. Oh yeah yeah okay. Yeah, that's oh, really good. Do you have a supplier here in DC where you can get this stuff? Uh, yes, basically we are suppliers are uh, Pad Valley. It's uh-huh. coming from uh, Pennsylvania. Uh-huh. All the local. Farmers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. Okay. Yeah, that's really good. And um, let's just talk a little bit, Elizabeth, about, um, you know, obviously you're trying to create a gourmet experience here. Um, and it's about showing people that this, this food can taste great. Um, but it's also this food has to make you feel good and it has to be healthy and, and that kind of thing. Um just talk for a second about the nuts and, you know, you had mentioned previously you weren't eating a lot of nuts or you weren't mixing them with certain things. Like, how? what's the balance for you in terms of health when people come to this restaurant versus it just tasting damn good? Yeah, that's, that, I, thanks, Rob. That's a great question, actually. Um, again, um, you know, if you have a health challenge and you're healing, your diet is going to be very different than someone who who is healthy. Um, so that's why I was so um, strident you know, at first. Um, but, but I think, um, the food that we're offering is probably 95% organic, which is, um, key to the philosophy of, of the company. That's very important right now. Um, but it, it's, I think more than being healthy, it's delicious, you know, and that's how you, that's how you get people's attention. You know, if, if I just, if I fed them or if Francisco prepared what I might eat every single day, lots of sprouts and avocado and lemon right, and cracked pepper. Right. And, um, 
you know, it wouldn't have that wow effect. It would be delicious and, and good for you, but people wouldn't walk out of here saying, what did I just experience? Sure. So, um, and the, the other component of the restaurant that I didn't mention earlier is that we have a really good wine program. So Phil Heiser is the um, sommelier and beverage director, and he has a, we have a lot of specialty cocktails with, you know, organic juices and um, organic liquor. But, but the wine program is really important because he, um, Phil is able to really pair these organic and biodynamic wines beautifully with the full food. So you, for those people who do drink and enjoy wine, they get a, an additional heightened experience and, and a lot of education around um, the philosophy of, of biodynamic bio wines or even natural wines. Um, Can you so, just explain just for people who don't know what a biodynamic wine is? Well, you know, biodynamic and, and if Phil were here, he could speak to this very intelligently, but, but I will do my best. So Rudolf Steiner from, um, actually came up with this farming um, philosophy of sort of, mon of um, eliminating the monocropping so that you have a, a full ecosystem with you know, on your farm mm. um, to keep all of the vegetables nutrient dense. Um, and um, there is spirituality behind the biodynamic um, uh, growth of vines where, um, you know, mensus blood will be used. Um, sometimes the, the grapes are planted on a full moon. Um, they may use bone from uh, cattle. Um, and, um, it's, you know, they're beautiful wines. They're, they're a little dreamier. They open a little bit faster. Um, obviously, no pesticides. And what kind of wines, um, I mean, obviously with, with raw food, with raw plant-based food, um, you know, you've got a different flavor palette there than, say, a steakhouse, right? And, you know, if you go to the steakhouse, the people often be drinking some very full-bodied red wines, for instance. What, what kind of things um, are you seeing working well with the plant-based food that you're well, serving here? That's a, that's a real challenge. You know, most of the wines um, are white, you know, and uh, now because of the summer is approaching rosés, um, chef does try to incorporate a dish every month that, um, that can be paired with the red, but they are going to be the lighter, the lighter reds, the burgundies or the pinots or, sure, sure. um, and, um, you know, Phil has, we have a small cellar, about 2,200 bottles and a lot of kind of esoteric wines and esoteric grapes um, that, you know, that are soup that are very, very interesting. So. And let's just talk about that kind of seasonality uh, for a minute, because uh, maybe Francisco, you want to talk to this. Um, but I think that some people um, who aren't in this whole world, who's, who someone says, oh, we're going to go to a raw vegan restaurant on Friday. Um, if it's the middle of winter, they might be thinking, oh, you know, I kind of want something really big and hearty or, you know, or they want some flavors that are more on the kind of umami, the, those kind of sides. How do you, um, how do you continue to do what you do, but also get some of those flavors and, and senses in your cuisine um, that you might not normally associate with raw food? Oh, basically, um it's, 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 it's kind of easy because uh, in the winter... Well, that was simple. Okay. <laughs> it's kind of <laughs> easy. easy. Okay. Yeah. Uh, for example, um, in the winter, I remember uh, one uh, one of the dish we make like, like last, um, last year. Uh, it's, a, um, it's a sausage, like Italian sausage. Like Italian sausage, wow. but it's made with a, a nut. It's macadamia, pecan, walnut. Macadamia, pecan, walnut, red pepper, tomato. And fennel seeds, basically, it tastes like sausage. 
and also I do the um, hazelnut uh, cream, like creamy. Uh -huh. So with the foam, pickled onions, it's, it's, that dish is wow, really cool. good. 115 degrees Fahrenheit. It's it's not cold. It's it's warm. Like if you touch like some metal that is that temperature, you're gonna probably um, bring your hand away, or at least you'll be aware that it's quite a warm um, surface. So. I guess you're serving some of this food like at that temperature, like you're warming the dishes and maybe warming things up in a dehydrator. Is that is that right? Yes, yeah. we uh, we keep it in a dehydrator. For yeah. example, in uh, another dish, I make a cannellini, mushroom cannellini. In this one, we serve it uh, like that. We put 110, 110 uh, degrees the uh, the uh, dehydrator, and we keep it just. Uh, Put everything when the this the food comes to the table is coming a little warm. Yeah, it's coming yeah. a little warm. And what are the things that if people are trying to make this kind of food at home, for instance, um, you know, obviously you can bring things up to that temperature, um, but if they're very moist, you may not want to leave them at that temperature for a long time, um, like you know, for for a couple of days or so, because you can get bacteria growth and like. What are the things that you try to do to um, take care of that. Am I making sense? Yes. Yeah. Um, basically, um, one of the uh, this thing uh, I started to learn it. For example, tomato. Tomato, I not gonna leave it more than six hours in the dehydrator. Okay, because it's starting to uh, turn bad. And fermenting and everything is like it's disgusting. But I figure up how I can leave it more, and the flavors can uh, stay right there. So what I do, I wrap it, you know, any anything like tomato sauce. I want to make a ketchup, raw vegan ketchup. Uh, what I what I do is like wrap it, you know, with a plastic wrap, and I make it one hole only, a little hole. Uh -huh. And I said this one, I can keep it for 36 hours. Huh. It's nothing happened. How did you figure that out? It's it's a lot of, a lot of, uh, a lot of work about um, right there. Because I, I break a lot of tomatoes, differently. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of tomatoes figure up, you know, because yeah. like, wow, if I left, I put open, so the air is coming, or some bacteria is coming to the tomato and starting to destroy, right? right? So if I wrap it, I make it more holes, it's the same thing, same bacteria is coming and then destroy everything. Right. So I started to make it one hole only, uh -huh. and I can live it more longer. But if you, if for example, you put garlic, you touch it with garlic, shallot, and put basil in the tomato, it's something. Destroy even if it's a little hole. Do you know why that is? Because I don't know why that it's is. It's the heat. It's, okay. it's the heat. Yeah. And, uh, and the acid. Uh -huh. The heat in the acid is not, he need a little more heat for the tomato starting to cook. Huh. So, okay. and this one is, is, is fight like, like raw and cooked. It's fight right there. So it's starting to destroy it. Interesting. <laughs> okay. I mean, actually I was going to ask, you know, one of the difficult things I think with raw is working with like alliums, like garlic and onion and, you know, because obviously the flavors can be super strong and, um, you know, in cooked food, we will often start a sauce, you know, with mirepoix or something, you know, you've got your carrots, you've got your onions, you've got your celery. And so using those ingredients in cooked food is just almost like a default, you yeah. know, like if you're making a stock, you like, or you're going to make um, even 
like an like a Indian food, you know, these alliums are used so regularly, but then in raw food, you've got to treat them so differently. And like, yeah. what are some of the techniques that you might use? Basically, um, the, we use a raw garlic, but we never, uh, I never chop it and pour chopped garlic inside the, the stuff because it's destroyed. What I do is with a micro, um, microplane, sister, yeah. just the little garlic, very fine sister, yeah. and just drop it inside. And I said, this one is keep the flavor. You don't feel it, mm-hmm. but it's right there. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. And you're doing that at the end of a dish, or it might go into like something? It's, it's, it's the pen. Yeah. It's the pen uh, how you, you want to you wanna test it. For example, you want to marinate uh, some mushrooms. Yeah. You know, you need to put it before, yeah. you know, because you want to test the flavor. And if you want to leave it for four hours, five hours, you know, after five hours, the garlic is gone, but the flavor is right there. Interesting. Mm-hmm. And what about onions then? Are you the onion is similar. Yeah. It's okay. a strong flavors. Yeah. But it's with a, be careful, don't put too much. But yeah. always says, always you need to use, use the, the microplane. The microplane. Yeah. yeah. Because if you chop and put inside, you destroy everything. Cool. Mm-hmm. And, um, no, I'm so interested in how you've developed all this stuff because, um, yeah, I mean, it, I think one of the funny things, especially about raw plant food, is that, you know, with 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 conventional food, you've got TV chefs, you've got cookbooks, you've got like, you know, the Noma cookbook, you've got Eleven Madison Park, you've got this, you've got that, and and although I think that, although I think a lot of those chefs are using plants a lot more now, and they're respecting those ingredients a lot more they're still not really developing a lot of techniques that are raw, you know? So this stuff about like using garlic in a certain way when it's raw, it feels like a lot of this stuff you've had to kind of figure it out by yourself, right? It's correct. Yeah. It's correct. It's like, uh, for example, before to pour one dish every Friday, I needed testing like three times. Yeah. Make it, you know, like, and always, like how I say everybody, it's like I put the dishes, it's like how I want to eat, you know, how I want to test, you know, it's like I do different different styles, or I don't like it. Another one, make another one faster. Oh, this one is going to be good, but I need something, okay, I make another one. When the dish is complete, how I want, how I like it, it's ready for go to the table. So it's yeah. like... This is a little war in the bag, you know. But, um, I mean, I think the nice thing is you obviously have some time to do that experimentation. And, um, I mean, talking to, talking to Scott a couple of weeks ago, I think, you know, he had gone from Angelica Kitchen and then ended up at Pure Food and Wine. Anyway, but the, the great thing was this ability to experiment. Like, and, and the great thing about working at Noma for him was this ability to experiment again. And I think, um, I mean, you, I'm guessing you're feeling kind of lucky right now that you have this ability and space to experiment with food in a way that most people in, you know, do not have. Like, do, and, and I think that's how good food yeah, you know, gets it's, developed. It's correct. Basically, um, I'm feeling really good, really lucky, you know, with Elizabeth. Sometimes uh, she come here, I'm right here. I started with a lot of stuff in the, in the table and um, I don't, I don't have any uh, any reason why I can stop because right. I 
I can have whatever I want, any products. You know, for example, I make a one dish, um, uh, one dish, uh, the last pass uh, raw menu is a, is a honeydew with a melon. Everything is, is I bring from outside, from Hawaii, the coconut, organic coconut from Hawaii. Leeches is coming from Brazil, flying to here. You know, it's like, it's, so you can get whatever you want. Yes. Right? Okay. It's not, That's a little playground. Right it's there. a little playground. <laughs> so like, I'm basically, I'm really happy. Cool. You know, because um, I just thinking something and I want it. I bring it to the restaurant. And how, and how do you guys work on that menu together? Is that something where you'll produce some dishes and you'll both taste them? Is there like a group of people? How does that sort of review process work for you guys? Well, basically, um, I made the dishes and we need a testing. When I have the, the the dish ready, I give you um, Elizabeth. The, she is the first uh, I call her. Come to looking how is my dish and testing. You and, know, and, 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 and what are you looking for, Elizabeth? At that point, like, well, you know, I I have so much faith in Francisco that it's very unusual that I'll say you need to redo this, or you might. Or, or redo part of it. Um, and um, often he agrees. I mean, he's going into it thinking, I wonder if she's going to identify this particular, you know, it's too acidic or it's not acidic right. enough or there's right. not enough texture. Right. But, but I will tell you the, the one thing that, um, and Francisco won't speak about his um, food this way because he's very modest um, and humble. But I can tell you that um, the complexity of the flavors are really extraordinary. And not only is his food complex, but it's subtle. So there's this beautiful sophistication to the food where he might be using, you know, 15, 20 different ingredients in a dish. Um, and um, you just taste all the different layers, just really subtly and this beautiful harmony of flavors that um, quite honestly, I don't taste in cooked food. Mm -hmm. um, you just don't get that same, um, because the flavors are so unique because we're accustomed to cooking every vegetable or right, even, to, right. even fruits for that matter. Um, the flavor profile changes. So, you know, someone will say to me, I don't want the beet dish because I don't like beets. And my, and generally my response is try it, just try it. If you don't like it, we're happy to accommodate you or give you another course of something sure, that sure. you liked. But, um, you know, maybe they've had beets prepared a certain way their, their entire lives and, you know, aren't, ha think they don't like something that is absolutely fabulous. So, um, but, but it really is, um, it's a truly unique experience and the amount of time and just the labor and the love and the passion and the ingenuity and just the philosophy behind what we're doing is, it's very, very unique. Um, I, I'm, I'm curious now, um, what do the customers say? And, and what do the customers say back when you opened because it was maybe even more unusual back then and, and what do the customers say now? And I'm just, I really wanna find out about this because you're in a, you're in a town um, that is, um, I would say, the food scene can be pretty traditional here. Um, so you're definitely sticking out in a way that you, you might not stick out as much in, in L.A. or in, in New York, for instance. So 
what do customers think of your food? Well, you know, the, the food has evolved tremendously. Um, the chef prior to Jonathan Sinigan, um did a, did a, a really fine job. However, there was no passion in the food. So um, because it wasn't his concept and it, he just he didn't eat that way and didn't really understand the potential of this kind of cuisine. Um, when Jonathan Senegan came and joined the company, he really, you know, elevated and took the food to another level. Um, and made it much more sophisticated. We added courses. Um, and then Carlos, of course, is the is a protege of um, Jonathan and, and has taken Francisco Carlos. I'm sorry, I, it's I got his really nickname. confused. There. I'm so like, sorry, Francisco. Wait, yes. okay. um, and Francisco, <laughs> Francisco. has okay. has really now again taken it to another level. So um, and continues to, and that's part of the excitement of the cuisine. But but in regards to being in D.C., you know, um, we do for the most part get really rave reviews. You know, mostly five stars. And um, but you know, you're going to get someone who just doesn't. A, understand it or just doesn't like it. I mean, you know, they may have a palate that's very, they're accustomed to a lot of butter, a lot of cream, a lot of salt, a lot of fat. Um, and you serve someone, you know, our food and their palate isn't, you know, has, I don't want to say has been tainted, but I mean, that's kind of a American, sad American diet, right? Yeah, yeah, sure. So, um, but, but the one thing that's really unique about DC, I think that, um, despite it being very conservative from a culinary perspective, it's a very, very well-educated city. So that works to our advantage because I find that the more educated you are, the more willing you are to learn something new and to experiment, um, as opposed to saying, you know, that's not for me. At least, at least people are coming saying, I want to try it. Or the other thing that'll happen is um, uh, a couple will come in and the girlfriend might be vegan or the boyfriend might be vegan or vegetarian or, or, or whatever. Um, and they'll be just astounded, you know, so pleasantly surprised and say things like, you know, now we have a restaurant we can go to because, yeah. you know, although yeah. I'm a meat eater and my partner is not and is vegan, the food's so delicious that it doesn't matter. You know, and, and that's really the goal at the end of the day for people to say, dine in Elizabeth's gone raw, by the way, it's raw vegan, as opposed to saying, hey, do you want to eat at a raw vegan restaurant? That's right, kind of that. Right. That's kind of the afterthought. So. No, I, and I think that's really, it's really important to have restaurants where that's the ethos, I think, because um, then, you know, the whole, the whole reason people dine out is to really have a good time and, you know, and try new things and, and have fun. Right. And. And so I think the the most successful plant-based restaurants now are catering to that and just making really, really damn good food, you know? And then it happens to be, okay, it happens to be plant-based or it happens to be mostly plant-based or it happens to be fully raw vegan. Um, if, the, if the key is that the food is amazing um, and if it's executed really well, then that's much more compelling um, in terms of changing people's minds about what this food can be than you know, say a restaurant that is just purely about health or purely about activism or something like that. Yeah, abs absolutely. Yeah. And, and activism, I'm glad you use that word because, you know, uh, most of the people who work in the restaurant are, are not vegan or vegetarian. I'd say maybe 50% on a Friday night. Um, and, um, you know, back to the point about not judging, you know, and not, um, uh, I used to, when I first opened the restaurant, people would come in and say, I eat meat. 
You know, it's almost like they would come in feeling guilty. And I thought, well, this is, we're not off to a good start. You know, it's okay, you beat me. <laughs> you're really you here. Yeah, okay. you're really, you don't have to confess to me or anything. <laughs> I just want you to have a beautiful evening and, right. um, and this amazing dining experience. So more than it being a restaurant, it really is an experience because anytime you have a philosophy um, behind a food, you know, when you've got this passion and the com- combination of the passion and, um, and this real philosophy about lifestyle, then um, there's something magical that happens. It really is. And so it's all that love that goes into it. You know, it's, it's really um, so much love. Yeah, I can, I can definitely tell. Um, you know, turning around and, and flipping that a little bit, um, can you talk about what's been difficult though? Because I think that, um, you know, for the listeners here, uh, a lot of people either want to do something like this or um, they want to see more of this kind of thing in their city. Um, But there's some commercial realities there, right? Or there's some things that are learning experiences that we have to go through, whether on the food side, you know, there's trial and error, uh, but on the business side as well. So what do you think are some of the things that you didn't think were going to be difficult that were, or maybe some of the surprising things that have been difficult about, about doing this kind of thing? Well, you know, you know, anytime you, um, you think outside the box or take risk, um, you're just going to get criticized. You know, it's human nature, you know, um, uh, you know, Coltrane and Miles Davis had to play in a basement at four o'clock at night, you know, and in the late, even as late as 1955, or maybe maybe the early 50s. Uh-huh. Um, now Miles Davis, I mean, everyone knows Miles Davis, right? Yeah, everyone has a copy of Kind of Blue. That's right, uh, everyone yeah. knows Kind of Blue. Yeah. And, um, and you know, even Desmond's Flatted Fifth, the same thing happened. You know, a, a Flatted Fifth, you've gotta be kidding, what is he thinking? And now we're accustomed, our ears are accustomed to it. So, you know, it's a matter of time. This cuisine's not gonna go away. But, um, you know, I happen to be really fortunate in that I own this property. I had an existing company. So the risks, financial risks for me were really minimal because I could close the door at any time. Yeah. You know, I have a, really the, the catering side of the business, which is not raw vegan or vegan or even vegetarian. We offer that. But, um, you know, we still offer meats, organic um, uh, meats and organic vegetables and whatnot. So, so I really just happen to be very fortunate to, to be able to afford to do this. Um, and I recognize that most restaurateurs you know, don't have that luxury. Sure, um, sure. I mean, this wouldn't be a viable operation every single night. Yeah. You know, people yeah. aren't going to come in and buy. And so one night a week, it, it works well for us. Um, my dream would would be to have a vegan catering company at some point and yeah. to actually take out all the meat and the dairy and the fish. But, um, you know, as a business person, I need to be practical mm-hmm. and um, also, you know, respect other people and um, the choices that, you know, they've made. So we try to, even on the cook side, um, you know, Francisco has taken that to a level again, that compared to other catering companies, um, you know, it's, it's very different. Sure, sure. Yeah. Well, um, over to Fran- Francisco then, can you just talk about some of the, maybe some of the failures or the things that didn't go so well in the kitchen as you're experimenting and as you're trying to, you know, build up these menus for raw food? There must be some real disasters, I think, <laughs> there, right? Uh, Okay, uh, basically uh, for this menu, uh, I have the corn, uh, corn cream, silver uh, corn cream. So I make it like three times. Uh, the corn, after when you eat raw, you know, it's like, ton- and 
one hour later his tone uh, his tone really bitter after this is really bitter huh. so how i can do corn you know and test like keep testing like corn like in for seven eight hours uh -huh. so and uh, i make it like three times that three times is going bitter the bitter so for this one what, what were I, you what were you doing to the corn to prepare in, it in the corn uh, yeah so what i do is i soak it and uh, i it's fresh uh, corn cleaning and i soak it in water with salt the salt and the water is taken all the starchy to the fresh corn and it's right there and the starchy is the bitter okay after that i use it i take the just the use for the corn in a freezer like how i say it, the freeze is the big interesting uh, okay. the big thing right there yeah the freezer when it's freezer i blend it with a cashew and uh it's like like frozen corn right like frozen use with a cashew and a high speed and like that is keep it really good okay mm -hmm. okay so, so getting rid of that bitterness uh -huh. that was your that was your achievement yeah, yeah. okay that okay. is uh, the big challenge and then uh, and another one so the, for example a spinach uh, spinach soup uh, because we cannot blanch it you know it's right, like raw right. uh, like green spinach make it a soup uh, and later like it's not past like two hours when the color is changing to black so this is another challenge okay and basically in this one is same thing marinate with olive oil uh -huh. just marinate olive oil don't put salt a little pinch the um, cassava syrup okay cassava syrup a little pinch of the cassava syrup for the sweetener and put it in the, in, the, in the plastic bag okay and just keep it marinate like that no air is going just inside in the fridge or no just keep it in a room temperature room temperature okay uh -huh. so like that you keep it really good Wow! Yeah, I love these tips. You need, you need like a little book here. I think, yeah. Stuff. Um, just I, I remember you mentioning you use the sous vide uh, here sometimes, and yes. like obviously most people are accustomed to the sous vide being used for you know a piece of chicken or a steak, and that's really how the machine has been popularized. I would say the the idea that you can chuck a steak in the vacuum sealer put it in your sous vide for an hour or a couple of hours, bring it up to the perfect temperature and then just sear it off. And so most people who buy a sous vide nowadays, they I think they're thinking of, you know, using it for that kind of thing. But um, obviously in a raw food kitchen, A, you're doing it with vegetables, um, but B, you're hitting this certain temperature. Um, what are some of the ways that you're using the sous vide that you think might be interesting? Basically, uh, I use my sous vide for uh, making sauces. For example, for example, if I want to make it like a uh, really simple uh, celery, celery root uh, uh, cream or something like that, yeah. just chop, very small one, uh, and just marinate. Pack your sealer yeah. and leave it 100, 114, 113, 114 yeah. in the suite for like 24 hours. I left in the night and I take it the next day. So it's run, run the water. Interesting. So it's like starting if you if, when i cut in more small the pieces it's more uh al dente it's like more beautiful but that one is the trick it's a little more longer yeah i set up my suite for 24 hours just leave it don't touch it don't remove you're starting to cook it very cool and, that, uh -huh. okay. and after that i don't need it just blender blender with a, a almond meal yeah and add the flavor 
It's right there. Fresh Bay Leaf, uh, Touch the Cinnamon. It's right there. And it's beautiful. It's just really good. Very cool. Yeah. Okay. Just moving on a little bit now to like your general careers and like how you ended up at this point. I think a lot of chefs would kind of love to see their staff in their kitchen having the inventiveness and the creativity that you're showing here. What are the things that you have done as a chef or what are the behaviors um, that you think have helped you to get to the point where you're producing this kind of food? Okay, basically the first thing is uh, passion. It's a lot of passion, need to put a lot of passion and love. Where does that come from? Where does your passion for this food come from? It's coming from vegetables. It's coming from vegetables, it's coming from, uh, it's coming from everything. It's like, for example, it's like when uh, farmers deliver food in the morning. Yeah. And you look in everything, you know, the colors, beautiful, and, and you see what I can do with that. And I just pay attention how it looks. Yeah. How it looks, you yeah. know, okay, I need to make something beautiful right now. You know, this is my passion. It's coming like, like, it's love for ingredients, like love, right? you know? Yeah, like, yeah, so, yeah. And um, everything, every time when I see something, like vegetable, and I thinking, even if, if I see one tomato, and the plant, I just looking for the tomato. <laughs> I, I want to make one dish. It's like, I, I want to do it, you know? And I. That's this, super cool. Mm, and, uh, and another thing is like a lot of experimentation, a lot of reading, experimentation, how we can do it, you know, like, and try it. Don't stop. If we, do you want to do something, it's like, just do it. You know, just do it. Because if we, you fail in the first one, the second is better. Yeah. And like that, step by step. I think the experimentation thing is really interesting for me because I certainly have found that um, people who are not confident in the kitchen um, are often really afraid to fail. And so they might make a dish and it doesn't work out great. And then they say, oh, I don't, I'm not a good cook. But I think when you actually talk to chefs who are doing great food, they make a lot of mistakes. You know, you experiment and you have to throw things out and it tastes crappy or it doesn't. And I think that home cooks often don't appreciate that, that often the way to get really good is to make more mistakes and to experiment more and not be too precious about, you know, about the things that you make. You know, uh, you know it's like really funny because when uh, I make something bad, like, uh, like I fail with a dish, uh, I just eat it and I laughing by myself, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, I laughing by myself and I started to think, you know, and I told my cookers, hey, come to try it, that is really good. <laughs> wow. Okay. You know, we make it like a uh, better experience, you know, like, yeah, I know, I know fail. It's like, uh, we make a little joke yeah. with a dish, yeah. you know, and starting to make it again. It's like, and uh, starting to make it in the same way, but looking where, where is the problem? Where's the problem? Maybe you put a lot of salt or something, you know, like, but you need to find where's the problem. Hey, make it again. Yeah. It's like, yeah. No, I think, I think if, if more people had that kind of attitude, we would maybe see more people just cooking at home. And I think, because, you know, one of the reasons that I think a lot of people have kind of got disconnected from food is that, you know, they um, maybe their parents didn't cook too much growing up. They started to order out. You start to order meals and they, everything comes to your house. You don't use the kitchen. And so using the kitchen becomes this more scary thing. But I think, you know, as we were saying, um, the more you can be 
okay with making a mistake, with experimenting, with, with trying new things, the more you can actually become comfortable with food and then become more confident about making plant-based food or making any kind of food. Um, so I think it's, I don't know, it's, it's really cool to hear that, <laughs> yeah. you know, one of the, one of the great things is doing that experimentation. Yeah. And what are the things, Francisco, that you look at, um, in terms of a young chef coming into your kitchen, what are the kind of behaviors that you like to see that makes you think, oh, this person has what it takes? Okay. The, the first thing when I'm looking something like that is, you know, be like or, organized, you know, for example, we have a lot of stuff. Uh, for example, we're cooking something. We need to put uh, labors, dates, you know, um, working with uh, the, the prep uh, and prep, the cooks, the washer, you know, keep clean. It's like, it's a, it's a lot, you know, but keep it like always if you move some uh, glass from the, from the kitchen, you need to put right there again and all the kind of stuff like that, you know, and uh, a lot of passion. Because uh, like how I say, if you don't have passion, the first time when you make a, um, a little fail, you're gone. Yeah. You know, if you have passion, you need to like make again, three times, four yeah. times, you know, yeah. like, okay, yeah. I'm doing really good. Okay. You are good right now. Right. You know, right. and a lot of love. Because sometimes uh, a lot of people don't have it's got passion, but don't have love. And love is is like with everybody. For example, and I know, I know a lot of a lot of a lot of kitchens. The even the chef, if is passing front to the cookers, don't even say hello or hey, how are you today? You know, you don't feel in that. You got stress, a lot of stress. You know, and that is really bad. It's make it bad everybody. So it's like. What I look at, you know, like with that kind of attitude, love with everybody, you know, come to the kitchen and like, how are you? Yeah. Mm? yeah. You sleeping good? Yeah. yeah. And when somebody asks you like that, you change everything, you know, like, oh, nice. And you're starting to, uh, to work in great. I know exactly what you mean. I mean, the funny thing is, you know, my, my background is all over the place, but one of the things I've observed in management, even in, in a completely different situation, but working in like a team of engineers, for instance, and there's some people who will come in in the morning and they're like, hey, how are you doing? Mm-hmm. And there's other people who will just go straight to their desk and they will try to actually avoid eye contact and they'll go and sit in the corner. And, you know, that just those two different behaviors can create this completely different organization. Yeah. I want to speak. Yeah, yeah. So, so the other thing that um, we're seeing now are, are a lot of these um, kind of so-called fast food um, chains that are um, like fast casual stuff. Fast yeah. casual, actually, yeah. you know, more up, up from McDonald's. Fast and, you casual know, the same, kind of means it's a bit more expensive and a bit healthier, maybe. But yeah, right, right. Yeah. And um, and that's all well and good, and I think it's actually yeah. really a great thing. But but one of the things that I think is happening um, that really again makes us very unique is that um, you have people preparing this food who A, don't understand it and B, don't really care, you know, and that the incentive is actually financial. So, you know, and this always happens in food and it happens in business. And so you get, those are the places that you can taste it in the food. You can go into one of these places and stand behind 10 people and you get your food and it's fine but that's it, it's fine. 
You know, and there's yeah. nothing, yeah. there's nothing compelling about it. Um, and you can tell it's just a recipe that's done over and over and over again by somebody who was trained to do it. And, and the inspiration doesn't come from that person. Um, it's not, this is not a criticism. It's an observation. And I think that's part of how food is evolving in this country and yeah. has been for yeah. many, many years. And back to your point is that people aren't cooking at home. They're going out to eat. So they need something fast and they, they need something inexpensive. And it's just part of how we're evolving as society. So doing what we're doing here is so unique and so exciting, I think, because of the inspiration behind it, you know, and, and how we feel about the food. And we really, you know, we really care. Yeah. I will say you'd ask me, you know, what are people saying about the food? Um, you know, we'll get a one star every now and then for somebody who hated it, and that's fine, that's expected. Give me a one star, not a three. Just right, don't give me a three right. star. You know, because just tell me you hated it because you didn't understand it or it's not what you are, or a five because it blew you away. But it's that in between that you kind of feel like, oh, that doesn't. Well, notoriety is always better than oblivion. Yes, you know? yes, exactly. So yeah, no. I completely yeah. agree with you. Yeah, well, well said. Hopefully, there are going to be enough people that care about it and understand it to bring it to the public, you know, to really and make it affordable enough that's we're not trying to I mean I think we're very affordable seven courses for $75 organic you know organic cashews are $15 a pound yeah you know I mean that's yeah. more I mean we buy our meat from D'Artagnan that's the tenderloins $15 a pound so you know so we do get so sometimes we hear people say well why is it so expensive it's just vegetables yeah, so. Well, no, I mean, I think that's one of the funny things that people always, people have weird misconceptions about costs in restaurants and, you know, they think that the price of the meal should re exactly reflect the price of the ingredients that you buy, which, you know, if you actually do any kind of math, it, it doesn't add up. And But, um, but no, I think, you know, I, I think it comes back to this thing of um, if are people being entertained, are they having really interesting food? And, you know, if you're hitting that kind of stuff, hopefully it doesn't really matter like to the average person is it raw vegan or is it thai or is it whatever if it's an amazing experience then it should be something that they want to come back to the funny thing for me or the interesting thing for me is that we're sitting here in washington dc and we're in the heart of the place where actually a lot of kind of food decisions about the country end up being made or they're influenced here you know if you and if you think about um what diet the that many Americans eat and what that change in diet has looked at looked like over the past century um, you know we've obviously seen some quite worrying trends there um, but also we're starting to see some good things as well um, and you know I think my perception is that people are becoming more aware of what they eat and you know a lot of people are trying to say cut down on meat or they're trying to cut down on things that are, that are making them unhealthy what do you feel about what it, what's possible over the next five or 10 years and what do you expect um, that food landscape to look like in America um, over the next decade or yeah, so? We're gonna see a lot more of the fast, casual, plant-based cuisine, non-organic. You can't, you can't afford, most people can't afford to buy, they can't afford to buy organic in the grocery store. They certainly can't afford to buy organic in a restaurant. Right. And I would like, that's really, um, the biggest change that I think has to happen is to make organic food available to everyone. It really, I mean, it would just make such a significant change for people. So we're going to see a lot more fast casual. They're going to call it plant-based. There's still going to be some sort of 
meat or chicken available for the people who who don't want you know you the feel like they have to have that. but yeah. they're going to yeah. make it and I, and I think again this goes back to business and it goes back to trends and it's you know the people that the real forward business thinking people are seeing an opportunity to make money on um, a new ideology sure and I think that plant-based food has hit its stride when someone from outside that world can say, oh, I'm going to make money here. So like, I don't, I don't love people coming into it from that perspective, but I certainly think it's, it's shown that plant-based food has reached a, a good point. Um, oh, I quite agree. Yeah. And, and regardless of the, in, I mean, if, if it is, if the incentive is money, but you're still bringing um, a product that's better than what's out there, you know, that's that's all well and good. I mean, right. it really is. I mean, it's the organic, it's the pesticides that, you know, is so worrisome. So, um, your, I mean, your key reason for pushing organic would be pesticide and herbicide usage, I, I'm guessing. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And non-GMO. Right, you know, right. So, um, and that's a whole nother That That was thing. a whole nother hour, so let's not even, <laughs> let's not mention any names either. <laughs> yeah. I want to incriminate myself. No, no. Um, so. And so, Francisco, just to... Um, where do you think uh, this kind of food is going and, and who inspires you uh, in terms of other chefs? And you said earlier you were inspired by the vegetables and the ingredients, and I think that's super cool. And I, I wonder if, you, if there's any chefs you kind of look up to or any people you think are doing really, really interesting things, like whether that's plant-based or, or regular food. or um, Who do you get inspired by? Okay, uh, the first thing... Um, like how I said before, you know, like I really love cooking. Uh, you know, this one is like, and I I really love the new challenge, right? So, and uh, when I come right here, I meet Elizabeth. I meet Elizabeth, and she have the the health problem, you know, and like, and just I think, you know, like, oh my God, if he, how I see Elizabeth is a lot of people. Outside, you know, with the same problem, you know, like, and uh, I really needed coming with a uh, new ideas, you know, for bring uh, her, um, her her restaurant to a little more up, more interesting. So, and this one is inspiring me, you know. This one is like inspiring me, like how I say when I work in a different in another restaurant, and one vegan come to dining, and the restaurant don't have food for that vegan person, yeah, yeah. you know? And like, that one is inspiring me because like that, I can I can cook for that kind of person, you know? It's not even just for vegan people, no? I cook for everybody. Mm? And that one is inspiring me every day. And another thing, when I listen to something really nice, oh, your food is really good, this one inspires me more, you know? And another thing is I don't follow any chef, you know, because personal is, only me. Yeah. You know, yeah. I love what I do it. Yeah. And uh, that's it. You know, I just make it a stuff how I want to eat it. Yeah. How how I feel in the moment. You know, it's like, and the food is beautiful. The, the food is like you mix one flavor from right here and bring another one right here and you make it nice. You don't need to follow anybody. It's like be I, yourself. No, I think that's, I think that's super cool. And I think that actually, um, if you look at the people who make the best food or art or fashion designers or whatever, 
um, the best inspiration is like primary inspiration, right? Whether it's like looking at the ingredients or looking at, you know, something in nature or, you know, something. And, and that, that philosophy always produces the best work. So yeah. So I think it's super cool. I feel like we've had a pretty good uh, conversation here. It's been super interesting, um, you know, learning about all your experimentation, learning about the history. And yeah, I feel like I really just want to come back and try the food now. I'm hungry. Nice. <laughs> nice, really good. So yeah, thanks, Francisco. Thanks, Elizabeth. Thank uh, I really appreciate it. That's it. Okay. All right. Yeah. Wow. Well, that was pretty cool, right? Francisco is such a smart chef, and I think Elizabeth and he have something really unique and interesting here. So if you're in D.C. on a Friday, book a table, check it out. I think you'll love it. And if you like this episode, remember to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Um, Remember to subscribe to our mailing list and your life will be better. You'll be happier. Your skin will be clearer. You'll be more financially successful. I guarantee it. Um, I love you if you leave a review on iTunes or you follow us on Facebook, Instagram or Twitter Um, and also message me and tell me about the awesome chefs that I should be interviewing or anything else. I'd really love to hear from you. Um, With that, that's it for this episode. So I'll see you next time. Goodbye.